Hello and welcome to the Sunday Soccer Show brought to you by the Patterns of Play podcast. I'm your host, Greg Margolis, and with me as always on Sundays is Mike Schmidt. Mr. Mike, how we doing? Good, Greg. How are you? Just been a glorious weekend uh, watching a ton of soccer, uh, enjoying the freezing cold weather, and just ready to dive into this week. We will be talking about Bundesliga kicking off and some more of the Premier League first. We'll take a look at Bayern and Dortmund's great starts in Germany, and then we'll swing over to the Premier League where there were a few big score lines and some VAR drama, uh, as always, that seems to just dominate the weekend headlines uh, in English football. We'll also finish up with the elephant in the room, which I know Mike is super excited to talk about, Spurs' big money transfers of Gareth Bale and Sergio Reguillon. Uh, lots to cover, so let's get to it, Mike. Bundesliga right. is back yet again. It's back. I know. I'm very excited. <laughs> Although my Bundesliga team got uh, destroyed this weekend, so that's not that's not ideal. But that is Werderman, right? Yes, yeah, so I can't imagine too many people out there are Werder fans, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Well, to start it off on Friday afternoon, Bayern came sauntering back into their their incredible style of play uh, with an absolute demolition of Schalke, eight to zero. So this was your Champions League final uh, title winners coming in and facing a team in Schalke that sold their best player, Weston McKinney, and. Yeah seems to just not be going anywhere under David Wagner. I mean, I, I don't know if you watched any of this. I watched a decent amount of it. What are your thoughts on, one, it, Byron just con- continuing to be crazy, like, crazy good, and two, is Schalke just no longer where they have been in the past years? Yeah, I I did get a chance to watch a decent amount of this. Uh, I had off of work Friday, golfed in the morning, came home, threw this game on, and like like you said, just insane how easily Bayern just put down a professional soccer team as if they were playing against U15s. It was just insane how easily they were scoring. Uh, our buddy Chuck, he brought up a good point when we were talking about it the other day. You know, Bayern's almost they almost have a leg up on the rest of the Bundesliga because not only are they very good, they've also been the most recent team playing because the Champions League final wasn't all that long ago. So they had this really deep run. They're still probably in tournament form. And then they go up against a Schalke team that just didn't have it in the tank to, to play against them. And I mean, the goals they were scoring, it was almost like if you remember the Germany-Brazil World Cup game, where they were just scoring some stuff that was so basic and simple that it didn't belong happening in a semifinal of a, of a World Cup. But they just made it look so easy. And I think, I think Schalke is definitely in trouble. I don't think uh, they've fallen very far from where they were even a couple seasons ago. I don't know how much Wagner can do to really fix it. They've lost a ton of talent. They haven't really replaced it smartly. Uh, so, I mean, they're, 
it's tough to say that just because Bayern shellacked them that they're a team in crisis because I think Bayern's going to do that to a lot of teams this season. But, yeah, they did, did not give a good account of themselves. And Bayern just doing ridiculous things. Lewandowski's Rabona assist when it's already like 6 nothing, So unnecessary to stunt on a team like that at that point. And they're just that good. They lost Thiago to Liverpool this week. And it doesn't even look like it affected them in any way, which is just a measure of how strong they are. Yeah, when you can just slide Joshua Kimmich into Thiago's position, it really just shows the amount of depth that Bayern have. Uh, and the way that you describe their their like ease of beating teams like that like how Germany had beaten Brazil it's the same thing as Bayern doing to uh, Barcelona in the Champions League as well where they just seem to waltz through certain teams with the they understand each other because you look at their starting lineup and you could say seven of their 11 starters could start for the German national team as well so they're constantly around each other for years and years and years. They've been around each other and it doesn't take a lot, I think, to coach a team and to put that team into a situation to be successful because they're always, they're always around each other. So it's an incredible way to start off another campaign for them. Schalke, you know, they clearly need to find, I think, a better defensive approach and which is interesting to say because Wagner that's usually one of his stronger yeah pieces of his puzzle uh that's how he got Huddersfield Town um into the Premier League was with that defensive organization that he had uh but I mean when your goalkeeper gets a 2.4 rating out of 10 yeah that's not going to do it you get all of your backs either five and under with their ratings you're going to have to find the better players, I think, to supplement that approach, which, like you said, Bayern are going to do this to a lot of teams, but eight goals? Eight yeah. goals? That's too many. But, but at the same time, you said it yourself, Bayern did the same thing to Barcelona, which, although Barcelona is a shadow of their former selves, they're certainly many levels above Schalke, and they still got absolutely obliterated by this same team. So... Schalke definitely has work to do. I think the Bundesliga is an extremely top-heavy league with Bayern and maybe Dortmund and Leipzig being the ones kind of weighing it down at the top. I think against the rest of the league, certainly the Werder Bremens out there and the teams that are scrappy and not really that great, I don't know that Schalke would be in relegation-type trouble. But they're, definite, they're definitely a, a traditional bigger club in Germany that has lost its way in, in the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, Union Berlin are going to be fighting for relegation. Stuttgart coming back up as well. Cologne always seemed to be around the bottom there. Um, Armenia Bielfeld actually got a point this weekend, but that's a team that just came up that they'll, they'll be struggling to stay up. I would think too. So yeah, I don't foresee Schalke being towards those bottom three positions, but I, you know, if they don't adapt, I think right now because from the restart of COVID, when the Bundesliga restarted, they ha I don't think they've won a game, so they need to change something. Yeah, obviously that that can't continue, uh, it, and that 
that's not where they, you know, we're talking about, oh, they'll probably survive relegation. That's not where a club like Schalke wants to be. They don't want to be finishing 13th every year. They, no. they want to be in, in that top six in the league. So definitely have some work to do. Shifting over to another team that we mentioned is typically at the top, Borussia Dortmund playing Borussia Mönchengladbach. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dortmund have been very much building a very dangerous side over the past few years. They've made some big changes with uh, obviously Pulisic leaving recently, but they brought uh, Hummels in back last year. Now the new super Captain America, Giovanna, Giovanni Reina, uh, is getting starts for them. They also brought in the youngster Jude Bellingham from um, Birmingham, this transfer window, and then the the absolute monster of a man, Erling Haaland, is just dominating for them. So they come out 3-0 win over Gladbach with Reyna getting the opening goal and then Haaland just doing whatever he wanted to do with a penalty and then a, and a great counterattacking goal. That, uh, that so counterattacking goal... <laughs> Uh, I think if there's a human being on earth I'd want to immediately switch bodies with and live their life is Erling Haaland. <laughs> that counterattack goal, how fast he was. Mm-hmm. I Literally, the scene from Superbad comes to mind where he outruns the cops and they're like, he's the fastest guy alive. <laughs> Watching that counterattack, I was like, how does he move that quick? Because he's a big dude. Like, yeah. you, you, see, you see a lot of smaller frame players, like even a guy like Jaden Sancho. Him being fast doesn't surprise you. He's the build of a winger. But, like, Holland is built like a Norwegian god. And yeah. he's running around the field at a pace that most players can't match. And I, I guess it's because he's still really young and he's still really fit. But uh, that guy's terrifying. If I was playing against him as a center back, I wouldn't know how to stop him because he can, he can go toe-to-toe with you physically. And he's also so fast that he's going to run the channels. It would be like if Harry Kane had explosive speed. He'd be unstoppable. <laughs> and that's what Halan seems to have. And even last season, his numbers in the Champions League, for, uh, people talk about Mbappe all the time, but, like, Halan's numbers are insane for how mm-hmm. young he is. Uh, if they keep him healthy all season, and I think, too, if they keep Royce healthy all season, because he's the one who always gets hurt for them, but he's a huge A, goal supply, and B, assist supply to that team. If they can keep the members of their attack healthy, I don't think they'll realistically push Bayern for the title unless they can just really show up in those couple games a season where they play Bayern because they'll bully the rest of the league the same way Bayern will with that team. But, I mean, they're, they're going to be the only credible threat, I think, in the Bundesliga this season that isn't Bayern. Yeah, they the it's crazy to think when a guy who's on the ball in Jaden Sancho is running at a really fast pace, just completely basically gets burned by his teammate Halan to get into an attacking position on this counter. Uh, that they do have some really young, good young players. Uh, how old is Munier? Because they just signed him. He's an, an older player, but he's just another quality signing that they got this summer. They are going to be fun to watch. Uh, very fast-paced, counter-attacking style team uh, that will for sure rival Bayern at the top. And I think, like you said, Leipzig will be another one uh, that will be up there. And I think a team, just kind of diving into looking at the table right now, a team that won this past weekend that I think is one that could be one to watch out for is Hartha Berlin. 
Uh, they have built a lot of, uh, you know, they brought in a ton of players in January when Jurgen Klinsmann was their head coach. And then Klinsmann didn't have his licenses, so he was fired. Um, but they have a really good squad. Uh, so they're one to, I think, to potentially look out for. They have um, Kareem Rekik, who is a Netherlands uh, center back who uh, he just doesn't get into the side because of Ake and uh, Van Dyke, but he's quite good uh, at that center back position. And then they have a lot of attacking talent with Piatic. They just got Cordoba from Cologne. Uh, I think it's Chuna is actually how you pronounce it. They got from Leipzig um, in he, January. And he's he incredible. is I don't know really how much, good. I don't know how much you've seen him play, man. He is a firecracker. Just yeah. every time he gets on the ball, he's one of those players who just looks like he can make something happen. Uh, and even last season, I think he was on loan there. He was doing amazingly for them. So I, I like how you brought up Hertha because, of course, they smashed Bremen this weekend. But, <laughs> I mean, Bre Bremen are a club, again, like Schalke, they've completely lost their way in the last decade. But, yeah, Hertha, Hertha definitely has the, the attacking talent to kind of make some waves and maybe push for uh, that Champions League spot if they can keep people healthy. Because, I, again, I think the league is so top-heavy outside of the holy trinity of Bayern, Dortmund, and Leipzig. I don't know. I don't know who else is going to be a credible fourth place contender. Yeah, yeah. I would love to see a year like uh, when Werder Bremen came out of nowhere and won won the league and have something like that happen. Uh, but I just don't foresee that happening this year. But there are teams that are starting to put some good pieces in place that we could see in the next year or two that someone is starting to rival uh, Bayern at the top. One thing to just finish on the Bundesliga side before we move on, just want to give a huge shout out to a former player of mine, Ryan Malone, who is now in the third division of the Bundesliga with Lubeck. Uh, they had their first game and they actually got a tie one-to-one. -one. I believe he started at center back. So shout out to him for getting into that side. And uh, he is the penalty kick specialist for them. So I know that he will be getting some goals in that third division. So be on the lookout for him, especially if you're FIFA players. He'll now be in FIFA. So go go, go hey. buy him on your team. First year in FIFA is big. And I know at least among our friends, those kind of uh, road to glory career modes where you start with a lower tier team, that, so I, I feel like that's your calling this season, Greg. Oh, yeah. FIFA. That, I will definitely do a career mode with him. All right, so shifting gears now into the Premier League. Um, big, big score lines. Some good and some not so great. Uh, I guess we can start. You're referring well, to, but. I guess we could start with the not so great um, with Fulham and Leeds facing off. So the two of the three who have come up from the championship, Leeds have been. Just unbelievable scoring goals starting this year with this game and with how they came out against Liverpool. Fulham have been the opposite with just giving up goals left and right. This one ends up 4-3, to three, uh, which was just a marathon of a match. Uh, we have Mitrovic getting two for himself. 
and Guisa uh, assisting Bobby Reed on their third. Uh, but it was really just Leeds attacking ability, their ability to create those rotations that we kind of talked in the last, last episode. Uh, they are just really fun to watch, really fun to uh, see how uh, Bielsa has been building this club. But uh, I think the main takeaway here for me is that both of these teams need to be working defensively on how they're approaching the Premier League. Uh, it's great that you both can be scoring goals like this, but what is this? Leeds have given up uh, seven and Fulham have given up, I believe, seven goals to start this year. Uh, that is just a recipe for a disaster. Yeah, you can't have you can't have that many in the goals against column. And I think we gave them a pass last week because they were playing Liverpool. So okay, fine, you're playing the champ the champions from last season. They have an insane attack. You're gonna concede goals. That's fine. We felt it was positive that they scored as many as they did. They carried that scoring into this game. Uh, but as thrilled as you probably were to see the offensive production out of Fulham I think from a Leeds perspective they'll be disappointed to concede that many goals to a team that was with them in the championship last season but also below them for the entirety of the championship last season so I agree I think they both need to shore it up at the back because um, you saw multiple games this weekend where four or five goals are flying in pretty much every team in the Prem can do that to you if you're not going to defend properly. So they definitely need to, to shape up there. I think from your perspective, I know we talked about this a little bit last week, uh, but again, Fulham had a tough game to start against Arsenal. So we kind of gave them a pass from your perspective. What does this Fulham team, what does Scotty Parker need to figure out? Cause I, I think if you look, looking forward that next game they have against Villa at this point in the season, that's must win because that's a team that while good should be around your level and you should be able to compete. What do you think Parker has to do either tactically bringing new players in, you know, how he's using the players he has, what does he have to do to start getting kind of more consistency out of this team and, and get some matches where he can take home three points? I mean, the number one thing is they need to bring in a, a top-tier center back. And to be, to be quite honest, they, they might need to bring in two. Um, I really think if that changes, you just bring in better people to shore up the spine. I think that changes everything for them. Uh, I've heard uh, just kind of seeing on Reddit and in the Twitter sphere that Scott Parker basically called up the ownership and berated them for not bringing in a center back at this point. And so uh, after that, the, the guy who confirmed uh, Reggion and Bale, whoever that guy is, he, he has said that they are going at Fulham are going after a center back from Sushuelo in uh, Italy. Uh, so that team, that side has been, you know, a very promising side. So I'm, I'm hoping they're, I don't know anything about the player, but I'm hoping he's a quality, you know, Italian center back, which, you know, somebody that we can potentially just drop in there to really sure things up because that's been our biggest issue for years. It, it really isn't just last year and this year, but for years we have not had the likes of a, you know, Breda Hangeland was the, the last 
really quality center back that we have had. Uh, and Michael Hector, they brought in from Chelsea in January last year, was so important for our uh, rise through the ranks to get us to the playoffs and then to get us into the finals uh, and to then into the, the Premier League. But he is he's off the pace at the Premier League level. He's just, I think that's why he never get, got into the side at Chelsea. Uh, so he's one who, he's the better of the two but he still, I think, needs to get replaced. And when you have Dennis Adoy, Tim Ream, who, again, are just off the pace, they can't keep up with the, the likes of, a, you know, e- even like Patrick Bamford and Jack Harrison and Helder Koster, who put two by um, their new goalie in that. Uh, it's just you need to go get two big, big-time center backs, I think, to lock things down because Parker – his approach tactically is is i think totally fine it's it's possession based it's a little bit more organized than um you know man city or liverpool who are just going to go at you it's more defensively focused and then uh, and then try and build but right now it's just it's just not where it needs to be on the defensive side yeah i think if you're if you're Banking on that possession-based style where you're you're counting on good organization and a good defensive shape, then yeah, your defense can't can't be a problem area. And I think that's the right way to go. I think a lot of teams, when they come up, can be too cavalier because you can get away with certain things in the championship that you can't get away with in the Premier League. So I, I agree. Long term, I think that organized keep the shape keep possession style probably works for them but to your point they need a defense that they can actually build that on otherwise they're setting themselves up for for difficulty yeah absolutely so we'll see i think in the next couple days i hope they'll be bringing in at least one if not two center backs uh it would honestly be great if they get another striker too just to provide some cover for for Mitrovic, but uh, I think they're quite happy with Bobby Reed and uh, Abubakar Kamara as their as their backups. But we'll just kind of see how things go with that. Uh, we'll shift gears a little bit. We'll talk about now the other really high scoring game in a team that has just been kind of running rampant to start the year in Everton versus West Brom. And I mean, my big takeaway from this is that. It's, t- it's, you know, the coming out party of Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Yeah, he's been, I mean, he scored the goal against Spurs. He now got a hat trick this week. I think that, that had to have been one of the big question marks for Everton going into the season was could he, could he be counted on to lead a line like that uh, in a team where they now have so much quality and so much experience? with that midfield that they have. But I think that's what's giving them the plat. That's what's giving Calvert-Lewin the platform to perform like that. We saw Hamas got his first goal this, uh, this match, really nice strike with his left foot. But I think if you look through that Everton team now, you would, you would have to say that Calvert-Lewin is probably the least proven player in that squad. You look through the rest of the team you got Richarlison kind of backing him up as a second striker. That midfield of Gomez, Allen, Decore, and Rodriguez is insane. They're playing so well right now. 
No one across their back line is that bad. Michael Keane scored today, uh, Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, but Yerry Mina, big, strong, physical. And you got Pickford in goal. He's, he's not going to hurt you most times. He's a solid keeper. And I think they've, they finally have a coach now that can actually push them to that higher level that they've been shooting for. I think, again, it's really early. But if you had to pick out who do you think could kind of gate crash the top six this year, or maybe even try to sniff around top four, they got to be one of the teams you're considering for that because they went away to Spurs and won their opening game. And yeah, they only won by one goal. They got it off a set piece, but they were good defensively. If you can nick a couple results a season off the top six and get results against the rest of the league when you play them, it's going to put them in a good position. I, I'm, I'm very interested as a, as not an Everton fan, just a neutral watching this team develop. I'm interested to see if they can sustain this type of performance, uh, you know, long-term. I'm interested to see what happens when maybe they have a bad result or two or they get into the doldrums winter part of the season where they're playing a game every two days. Does the performance level drop? But early indications, uh, they're, they're really strong this year. Uh, and I, I kind of like watching – a team like that kind of come out of nowhere and start challenging the traditional teams. I think they're, they'll need another striker, I think, just to provide depth for Calvert-Lewin. Yeah, um, case of injuries and stuff too. Yeah, and to, and to really push him to continue to grow. Uh, he's kind of had this steady rise over the past few years, and I think he's finally really showing his progression as a player. Uh, but if they just brought in, you know, I think it's Czech Tosin they actually have as his backup right now, which is probably a decent decent backup for him. So maybe it's fine. They might not even need to bring in anybody else. But they are definitely in position to make some interesting moves this year uh, throughout the table. They're always a team I like to just continue to follow because they are that one that's just like right on the outside that could potentially do something and always make – some of these bigger time games, uh, interesting. So they will definitely be fun, I think, just to kind of push the boundaries of the Premier League a little bit and provide a little bit more depth to that top six battle. Um, I think the only other one that we really need to focus on was the early one from to- the earlier one from today, and then we'll dive into Tottenham a little bit. With Liverpool beating Chelsea two nothing, uh, and really this came after Andreas Christensen decided to just tackle Sadio Mane. Genuinely, one of the worst pieces defending pieces of defending I've ever seen. And we watched David Luiz play for Chelsea for a very long time. <laughs> Keep that in mind. I don't know what I don't know what he's thinking on that play because yes, you run the risk of. Mane getting to the ball first and he he probably beats Keppa out to it but you don't know maybe Keppa takes him out maybe Keppa gets a touch maybe Keppa forces Mane to take a heavy touch you definitely can't wrap him up and tackle him to the ground like that and expect to get away with it I was shocked that they even had to VAR it that they gave him the yellow card initially. I'm like, mm. he literally just tackled that guy like it was an NFL game from behind when he was through on goal. 
No chance he stays on the pitch. VAR actually got that one right. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, was, I was hoping to see, even though I don't really want Chelsea to be successful, was hoping to see a little bit more out of them in a game like this against, against a bigger team. And I know they've got a lot of new signings. I thought Werner looked okay. I thought, you know, some of their newer players looked fine. It's, it's tough to concede a goal like that and lose a man like that right at halftime and then go on and try to win the game from that point. So I think, unfortunately, once they got the red, they were always going to lose that game. I thought they were okay in the first half up to that point. But, yeah, I mean, from a Liverpool perspective, that's just what they did all last season. Just found a way to win games, put teams under pressure, make them make mistakes, capitalize on it. I'm not surprised that they got the result even against Leeds last week when they weren't playing their best and they made a bunch of mistakes. They still grinded out the win. For me, you know, Klopp's team is still the team to beat this season in terms of the title. Uh, I think if you're Chelsea, you're a little bit disappointed because you probably feel like maybe you could have gotten more from that game if you stayed 11 on 11. They, they are honestly really missing Pulisic right now, in my opinion. I think Werner has been incredible these first two games. He, he had a few chances to get in behind today, and he just wasn't getting the correct service. Uh, and he had, he had one early or halfway through the first half on the left-hand side where his first touch just failed him a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be he's going to just blow you know blow up in the next game or so and really just continue to be an incredible player. But Havertz has had a hard time kind of coming into this side. Mason Mount is, you know, one of Lampard's kind of favorite toys to play with. I think <laughs> I really think Pulisic is the better option for them um, above Mason Mount. And I think when he is able to get back in, they also have Zayek, who they got from, from Ajax too. I think when those two players come in, then you'll really see the Chelsea that everyone's kind of been really excited about. Um, the one thing I want to potentially, you know, is going to be an interesting choice for Klopp on the Liverpool side is where is Thiago going to play and who is he going to take out? Because obviously Thiago, you spent that money, he's going to start. Wijnaldum now sounds like he might be staying and not going to Barcelona. And Naby Keita is one that they spent decent amount of money on that I think is going to be in that starting side in the midfield as well. So we saw today at halftime Jordan Henderson come out could Jordan Henderson, their captain, be the player who's actually going to get dropped in the midfield with Thiago coming in? I don't, I don't think so. Um, I think if I'm Klopp and I'm looking at those three, Wijnaldum to me seems like the one you could sacrifice the most easily. Um, Hendo, I think, is just too important in terms of just leadership on the pitch. And he, he, he's just quintessential captain material. I don't think you could drop him like that. Um, that being said, I, I saw a stat floating around after the game today. Tiago's in that 45 minute cameo, his passing stats were absolutely nuts. Like he's, 
he's going to make that team so much better. And I think it might turn into Hendo being more defensive minded uh, in that box to box role and have letting Tiago kind of pull the strings, deep lying playmaker a little bit more. But to me, Wijnaldum would probably be the odd man out if in terms of starting, but yeah. It just provides some good depth, at least in that in yeah, that I mean, central that, space. That's insane midfield depth for it. Yeah. <laughs> so we mentioned a little bit of the VAR in this game. Um, I know in the Fulham game there were two penalties that were called: one for Fulham, one for Leeds. That both just they didn't. I don't even think they looked at it with VAR. But Joe Bryan got pulled down uh, where he basically overhit a ball. And then kind of just was like, I'm going to leave my leg here and maybe I'll get hit. And he like didn't even get touched, it looked like, and went down. And, uh, and so they got the penalty, and which Mitro put away. And then Joe Bryan again uh, decided to put a hand in the back of, of Patrick Bamford. And they, they showed it. And it's like a feather touched Bamford. And then he got like a grenade and blew up. <laughs> so I just don't understand why the Premier League cannot figure out the VAR situation and like when to look at things and when to actually have the ref go look at it. It just blows my mind because I know there was stuff that popped up in week one. There is other situations that seem to have arisen in the Premier League this year. It just blows my mind because the Bundesliga gets it right a lot. And even the MLS gets it right a lot with the, their, their, with the way that they go about it. So it just, what, why can't the Premier League figure out VAR? It's, it's how they choose to implement it. Because the Premier League, and especially last season, you saw this all the time. The, the English FA has this approach to VAR that we're only going to use it if it's a clear and obvious mistake from the center referee, but because a clear and obvious mistake from the center referee makes the center referee look bad, they're going to be reluctant to pull VAR out and say, yeah, Mike Dean just blew that call and now we're going to overturn it with video. Meanwhile, countries like Germany don't have a problem doing that. They're, they're applying it the right way and they don't, they don't have that weird kind of two-step process that England seems to be using. And even just the rules that they create around it are not being enforced consistently. You saw today in the Spurs game, and thankfully it, it came at a moment in the game where it didn't matter and it didn't affect the outcome. But today in the Spurs game, the penalty that Spurs conceded, Matt Doherty is kind of repositioning himself in the body and or in the box and I'm watching it on the NBC stream and the commentators even saying this as he's watching the replays he's like as a defender you can't not use your arms to move it's unrealistic to expect a defender as soon as he gets in his 18 to have his arms behind his back and just kind of try to wiggle his way into position like (laughs) you have to use your arms for balance you have to use them to get lift when you're jumping you have to move around and him and Harry Winks are both near the ball. Doherty's not actually tackling for the ball. Winks is. It bounces off Winks' foot and goes up and hits Doherty's arm. He's maybe two feet away from Winks when this happens. He has no time to react to it. Yes, his hand is in an unnatural position, but 
It's there's nothing he can do about that. And the Premier League actually changed the handball rule this year so that by definition that should not have been a handball. And then the referee today just gives it anyway. So they're the way the Premier League is using VAR is different from every other league, which adds a layer of complexity. Even the rules that they create for it are not being enforced consistently by referees, which means that was a penalty in the Spurs game today. Next week, that same situation is going to happen in a game, and the center referee is going to interpret it differently and not give a penalty, and a team is either going to lose or draw because of it. Like I said, today it didn't matter. At the point in the game it happened, it wasn't going to change the outcome, but Teams are going to lose points, lose games based on inconsistent refereeing. And the way the Premier League uses VAR just sets that up. It's going to happen every week. You're going to get a different interpretation because center referee Greg and center referee Mike are both going to have a different way of looking at the same incident. And as, as long as the Premier League wants to still keep the decision in the hands of the center ref instead of literally using the instant replay for what it's supposed to be used for, you open it to interpretation and you open it to inconsistency. And like you said, they're the only league that has a problem with it. VAR is used all over the place. Nobody else has problems with it like that. It's just frustrating, but I think it's a reality that fans have to deal with and teams have to deal with in England until the FA figures out how to use a system that is literally should be idiot proof but apparently isn't yeah i don't have these numbers in front of me but i remember seeing a um something on social media about what the adjusted table would look like with the var calls that were um, incorrect incorrect and it was like incredible i think tottenham were much higher at whatever point in the year that was and there were so many like yeah, I can't, I can't even, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but the adjustment that would have come was quite significant for a few, you know, a few teams. Even today, like in the, in the Spurs game in the first half, we had two goals called off for offsides. And I think the first one, Hyunmin Son might have had a fingernail offsides and they called it. So they can get a, an inch perfect laser precise offsides call correct but they can't consistently enforce their own obvious rule about a handball it just doesn't make any sense and it's just gonna it's gonna continue to make people angry fans teams coaches whatever until they figure it out yeah i think you'll you'll see you'll probably see after this year that they're gonna have to adjust it just because there's gonna be so much criticism over and over and over again but we'll have to see what happens because we know that change is always slow and especially when it comes to the, the want and the need to use technology for some reason. So we'll see what happens, but we'll wrap it up with you getting all of your, your giddies and your goodies on with uh, Tottenham Hotspur finally spending a little bit of money and bringing in two quite quite good players uh one that i think you are very very happy is uh returning to uh white heart lane uh future white heart lane now i don't know if you can say giddies and goodies we're a family show here greg (laughs) uh but yeah this was like it was crazy because this week i was was just 
slammed at work. I had one of those weeks where I was just barely kind of looking up and paying attention to the outside world, doing the bare minimum to, you know, keep myself alive in between working and doing stuff all week. So I just didn't have time to really pay attention, but I'm seeing tweets coming in every couple of days. We're like, Oh, Spurs are trying to bring Gareth Bale back. I'm like, all right, this whole thing again, like every year it always comes up. It's like the Leandro Damiao transfer that never happened, but was spoken about for like seven summers straight when we were in college. And I'm like, he's never coming. Just give it up. So I didn't, I didn't really think it was a possibility until I started seeing chatter from our boy that we mentioned earlier in the, earlier in the show, Fabrizio Romano. I don't know how this guy is so reliable, but he's like S tier for transfers for every team anywhere in Europe. If this guy says it, it's like it came down from a higher power. It's going to happen. Uh, so when he started talking about it, I was like, Oh my God, this could be, this could be legitimate here. And then basically all the deal, the deal for Bale and Reggion was wrapped up like Thursday. They waited to do their announcement until Saturday because they were putting together this big kind of production for Bale coming back and all this kind of stuff. But Saturday I wake up and I'm watching announcement videos for one of my favorite Spurs players of all time coming back. But also, and I think kind of flying under the radar, which is unfortunate because he's a phenomenal player. Reggion is really good, really young, fixes a problem position for us and is with us permanently, most likely. I think Madrid has a buyback clause if they want it, but if they buy him back, we still get money from it, so we'll see how that plays out. But I think Bale is the bigger hype name. Reggion is probably the more functional, useful. He'll be in the team within a week and making a difference. Bale came in a little bit, Injured, he had like a knee knock, uh, national duty with Wales. He's probably not going to play until I, I would guess like mid-October. Uh, but what is most exciting to me about these signings is we talked about it last week when you and I were mutually depressed at Fulham and Spurs' bad starts to week one. And I said, if we don't, if we don't sign some players and fix these problem areas, we're going to struggle because we're one cane we're one song injury away from being average and not having enough to really trouble the big teams. Bale coming in gives you that star power type player, that difference maker type player, that any game that we go into that he's on the field, the other team needs to have a plan to deal with him. And if they don't, he's going to punish them. And if they focus too much attention on him, it leaves room for Kane and Son to punish them. I think what he can do for us tactically, because he's not the same player he was five years ago when he was incredibly fast and, and pace was a huge part of his game, but people forget a ton of the goals he scored for us were these awesome long-range goals and free kicks neither of which Spurs has really had in this team for a while. I think Erickson was the closest thing we had to a free kick specialist in the last two years. I think I've seen him make one. So Bale brings a lot of potential goals back, but he also, he takes a huge amount of pressure off some of our guys. And 
with the winning mentality. I mean, the dude won everything there is to win in Madrid. He, he And Reguillon, too. He on loan with Sevilla last year. He won the Europa League. He was in La Liga's team of the season. He's They're both winners. They bring that mentality to a locker room that's full of good players who don't know how to win. And if Bale, I'm not expecting him to score 20, 30 goals a season. But if he comes in, gets a handful of goals and assists, but just elevates the team and unleashes everybody else and helps them hit their potential, he's worth his weight in gold as far as I'm concerned. I'm really excited to see how Mourinho uses him and where it takes us. But most importantly, those are two signings that say Spurs are serious. We want to be in the top four. We're, we're going to improve our team until we can push that level. Yeah, I am so excited for Gareth Bale to be back. I think we were in college when he was a part of the Spurs program, right? And then, you know, seeing him leave and uh, you know, obviously that helped grow the club, I think, in a way with him leaving the money that he, he, they were able to bring in from him. But to see him come back and play alongside Son and Kane, it's just going to be so fun. Yeah. Uh, and when you can provide a defensive player with the at the likes of a Reguillon for for Jose Mourinho, that's something that's I think really really special for the overall benefit of the team because he's gonna he's gonna be able to bring the best out of that type of player uh, and really just add so much value to that back line. Uh, which the the only question I have for them is. Uh, Again, center back, what they're going to do with that, because he seems to love having Eric Dyer at center back, which I think that was his original position. And uh, I know he's been more of a center, center defensive mid at times, but it's interesting. It seems to be, I guess, working at this, at this point, but yeah. we'll see. Well, yeah, I know they gave up two against West Brom. We'll see what, what happens, I think, as time continues to go on. Uh, but seeing Alderweireld on the bench to start this game was interesting. I'm not sure if he's he's holding him off for the Europa qualification uh, or because we, as we talked last week, they have a game basically like every other day for the next three weeks. Yeah, I think squad rotation is definitely a part of it. I, I don't – I think Mourinho definitely considers Toby to be in his best center back pairing. I think he's deliberately – trying to rest him uh, when he can, just given the amount of games that we have coming up. And, of course, the Europa League ones being must-win if we want to progress. The Dyer experiment doesn't bother me as much as the Winks-Hoiberg double-pivot experiment is really bothering me right now because I just don't – I don't see a reason to start with – that negative of a midfield pairing, especially against teams that we should be beating. And I had to chuckle to myself because I was watching uh, All or Nothing, the Spurs documentary on Amazon. And I think I watched episode seven last night. And there's a scene where Levy and, and Jose are sat down at a table and they're talking about Harry Winks. And Jose's like, oh, when I got to Spurs, all he did was pass sideways, lateral passing, all that kind of stuff. And now he's, he's so much more positive and he's passing forward. And I'm sitting there watching this scene. I'm like, is he watching the same games as we're watching? <laughs> I, I like Winks 
he loves the club. He, he grew up Spurs and he has a place in a team like this. He takes care of the ball very well. There's, there's a role for a guy like that. But I think when you're playing against teams that you should be going after, or at the very least be more positive, like today, we did not look that good in the first half, even though we had two goals that were ruled off or offsides. Southampton had the better of us in the first half. When he brought on Lo Celso and kind of gave us more of an attacking thrust, we destroyed them in the second half. Part of which was down to the fact that they completely stopped defending. I just want to throw that out there. They, they played really badly in the second half. They were playing a high line against Son and Kane which is suicide because we just kept giving the ball to Kane, letting Son make runs off the uh, back defender, and Kane was just picking him out repeatedly with ridiculous passes. So I scoreline flattered us today, and I think he needs to figure out what his ideal midfield is, not so much the front part of it. I think most likely you're going to have Bale, Son, and Kane as the front three across an attack but he's got to figure out how to balance those players in the middle. Hoiberg is definitely there just to be a destroyer. So that's one of your three central midfielders whose sole job it is to just make tackles, clean up possession, recycle the ball. If you're going to play a guy like that, you can't also always play Winks because Winks is going to do the same thing. So I think if Jose can figure out that balance in midfield we'll get a little bit more comfortable in these, these types of games where we should be winning. But that to me is the bigger problem area than center back. I think if he wants to rotate Dyer, Sanchez and Toby, that's not the tactical decision that's going to kill us. I think midfield is more important. Yeah. Well, he's got some more toys to play with now. So uh, Spurs are definitely in the hunt for that top four and who knows now with Bale, they could be potentially in the hunt for that oh stop please oh they could they could i've already had to talk you out of the fulham relegation conversation week one i'm Uh, they're gonna lose every game this year that's not that's not here or there cars are gonna be title pushers city and liverpool are still way better than us (laughs) having bail bringing in region a couple more transfers hopefully in the hopper that should make us more competitive for top four so i mean i'm i'm at the very least excited to have players in a spurs team that freshen things up and excite me to watch the games uh and i think it'll be very interesting to see what players like bale and region can achieve with Mourinho. so absolutely well that is going to conclude this second episode of the sunday soccer show with schmitty and greg uh schmidt always a pleasure to be talking soccer with you uh we will be back next weekend Uh, And we will be talking about plenty more Premier League and Bundesliga. Uh, And if you haven't seen out there, um, you know, we might even be talking about some of uh, the craziness that is happening with uh, a very particular club in the MLS and the NWSL. Uh, Real Salt Lake organization is basically imploding in itself right now um, with some really just poor leadership and the Real Salt Lake, um, their owner and the owner of NWSL program and the Real Monarchs as well, uh, he, he is being forced out for some very, very bad uh, situations with him uh, in regards to you know, racism and sexism. 
and then there is even now some interesting information coming out from the Utah Royals. Uh, their head coach did not participate in their game today. He has been let uh, not let go, but he is on leave as well as his assistant. So when more information comes out on this, I think it'd just be something good to talk about as there is plenty in the world that is going on um, that is more important than soccer. And we can see it happening within some of these organizations as well. Um, So ending on a very, very dark note there, but thank you all for, thank you all for tuning in uh, and listening to the show. Uh, Like I said, we will be back next weekend uh, and enjoy the rest of your Sunday night, Schmitty. You too, sir.